Welcome to your next great read from the Okie Bookcast. I'm Jay Hall, and I'm on a mission to connect you with your next favorite book, and that's what this show is all about. We're going to be talking about books we love and giving you reasons to love them too, and the goal is to introduce you to a ton of great books and hopefully connect you with a few that you can't wait to read. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, author, screenwriter, and my favorite oldest daughter, Hannah Heron. Hannah, what's up? Hey guys, good to be here as always. And I'm really excited about our guest tonight. She is a fantastic Oklahoma author. Her books blew up this fall. She's global at this point, I think is completely fair. Um, but really excited to talk to our friend, Jamie Hyde. Jamie, how's it going? Oh, so good. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. So for clarity, for those who are like Jamie Hyde, but I thought it was J.L. Hyde, and that's right. Um, Jamie, you write under the the pen name kind of uh, J.L. Hyde. So if you're looking yes. for it, we'll make sure we link everything so you can get right to all of her fantastic books. Before we get into the books we want to talk about, Jamie, I want to give you a chance to just talk about your work. Tell us a little bit about what you do and the books you write and give us some titles. Oh, great. Well, thank you. Um, So I write murder mystery, suspense thriller novels. I have four novels out right now. Um, Three of them have kind of (laughs) surprisingly been put together as a package, as a series, when that was not intended. (laughs) Um, So I started with a standalone Delta County, a standalone Summer of 99, and then I tied them together in a sequel called Midnight in Delta County. So that has become known as the Delta County series. (laughs) So um, it definitely wasn't planned. Uh, but that's the latest. And then I have a new book, Magnolia Court, coming out on the first week of April. Oh, awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you so much. Very cool. And like I said, uh, your stuff this this fall, for lots of reasons, I mean, it's great oh. work, but really has just kind of taken off. It's been fun to watch. I, thank you. I, I've just got a really good streak of luck <laughs> starting in late August, just with some online reviewers getting a hold of the book somehow. And uh, it's I, I've been really lucky these last few months. That's awesome. Excited to watch that happen for you. Thank you. All right. Well, let's get into it. Hannah, you ready for the uh, quick rundown of the plan? All righty, guys. So just a quick reminder of how the conversation is going to go down. We're going to talk about books in three rounds. So for the first round, we're going to talk about a book that we're currently reading and give you kind of some early impressions on it. Then for the next round, we're going to talk about two books we've read in the last 30 days or so, and we'll give you a quick review and recommendation on those as well. We'll end the conversation with what we like to call our backlist pick, and this is a book from a pre-assigned category. It has to have been released at least five years ago. So let's go ahead and kick off round one. Jamie, do you want to start us? Oh, I'd love to. So I'm really excited to tell you about what I'm reading now. Um, it's The Turn of the Key by Ruth Ware. And yes, uh, yay. So <laughs> good. So good. Um, and, you know, I think I've read just about all of her other books and I've been saving this one because it's just so highly recommended. I was like, I'm going to wait until the middle of the winter and just read this. And I was a little on the fence in the first few pages because I thought, oh, you know, letters to a lawyer. I don't know. This has been done. And now I'm about maybe 25% of the way in. And all I can think about, I mean, I love you guys, but all I can think about is getting back to reading it right now. <laughs> like it's so we'll try good. To be quick for you. <laughs> I mean, she just, oh, it's so good. And I don't know where she's going with it. I don't know if it's going to be a paranormal thing or a, a crazy, you know, possessed child angle. I have no idea where this book is going, but I understand now why it's been so highly recommended. I am just sucked in. And right now, just the only premise that I have is that it's an English nanny who accepts a live-in position for a wealthy couple in Scotland. Um, it's like in a secluded cottage. She's going to be caring for four children. Um, 
Um, right now, only three of them are home. And I'm at the part where it's like her first week alone with the children. So um, I don't know where it's going, but I am definitely along for the ride. <laughs> I love I, I love that book so much, but I also just love Ruth Ware. She kind of yes. like she snuck up on me about a year ago. I had never read anything of hers before, but um, she was compared to some authors that I liked, and so I picked up The Woman in Cabin Ten first yes, and just blew that. through it. It was incredible. I actually used it in one of the classes I teach, mm-hmm. um, and since then I've just been on this like never ending spiral of like reading all of her stuff. That was one that. Because the premise was maybe slightly confusing to me, I guess. It was one that I didn't read as quickly. Like, I wasn't dying to read it like I was some of her others. But, oh, my gosh, you are in for a treat. Oh, I'm so excited. (laughs) That makes me so happy. I'm going to pass it to Jay for his current read. All right. So uh, this one is for a very particular demographic. um, And it'll make perfect sense in a second. I'm reading Bono's new book called Surrender. Again, if you're a YouTube fan, if you were a child of the 80s, as I am, and neither of you are, but that's okay. I'm close. <laughs> this is a fantastic look into what he's done is take 40 songs, 40 U2 songs, and just gives short chapters about what was going on in his life during the time that that song was being written or coming to pass. And then the end of each chapter is kind of the mechanics of what happened musically to create that song in the way that it was created. And so tons of of music that you'd be familiar with, even if you're not a U2 fan, songs that you've heard. But for those of us who are fans, it's even some deep cuts from some of their very early albums. And so it's, it's a great insight into musical storytelling. It's a great insight just into the life and the kind of journey that Bono has been on from the young rock star to the philanthropist and and the personality that he's become. But it's also just really cool to dig into what went into some of these songs that, you know, we hear the lyrics and we're familiar with it and we kind of know what it means. We kind of know what we think it means, but to see him flesh out where the streets have no name started in a slum in Ethiopia, where he was working with the UN to feed refugees. And then it turns Mm -hmm. into this fantastic song that we associate maybe with other things, that, that that's part of the background of it. So it's been a ton of fun to read, not just from that perspective, but also then to go back and listen to some of this music again with new ears and just a new appreciation for everything that was going on. So it hadn't been out real long, but it's a, a fun read. And the great thing about it is you could read it cover to cover, or you can go in and just kind of dive into the songs that you're interested in and pick those up and kind of pull it out, read those chapters, and then then move on. And I will confess, I've done a little bit of both, but I now want to go back to the beginning and, and start and go all the way through. So Surrender by Bono, not going to be for everybody because not everybody cares. But if you're into you 2 if you're a child of the 80s, then absolutely worth picking up and checking out. For me, I'm, I'm you know, pretty far off from being a child of the 80s, uh, I guess you would say. But I was the child of a child of the 80s. Yes. And so we grew up <laughs> listening to this music all the time, you know, so I feel like, yeah, yeah, thank you. Cause we could have been listening to a lot worse things, uh, but (laughs) I would still be curious to read it just cause that's, it feels like part of my childhood, you two. So, um, and I, and I'm not a huge nonfiction girl, but when it's people like that, you know, you become more intrigued. So be interested to pick it up. Well, I know where you can find it. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) At your dad's house. (laughs) That's where I get all the good books. Exactly. Hannah, what you got? 
Okay, so uh, slightly cheating a little bit this month, but my current read is a reread. Don't shake your head, Dad. You taught me how to You've cheat done on that these. <laughs> I know. Here's the deal, though. Here's the deal. So I'm reading The Pale Blue Eye. Have you guys heard of this movie that just came yes. out on Netflix? Yep. Okay, so film just came out on Netflix. It's starring Christian Bale. And this book is essentially a fictional telling of a story about Edgar Allan Poe. So um, there are bits and pieces of his real life that are kind of tangled in it in a pretty inconspicuous way. But for the most part, the story is fictional. So it actually follows Detective Gus Landor. He's an investigator and he has been called to the West Point Academy um, to look into this untimely death of a soldier that was found hanged. Um, And so it was initially considered a suicide but then the heart was carved out of his body, like the telltale heart, if you know it, Girl and Poe. So Detective Landor has kind of secretly been called to West Point to investigate this potentially murder. And of course, he befriends a very moody and brooding Edgar Allan Poe. And so the two of them kind of work together to solve this mystery. And we've also got all these really fun, like, tidbits from Poe's poems and he's a poet even in the book and so the story is told as narrative from Landor but then we also get a series of letters and poems and stuff from Poe. I remember it being a really fun read. I read it a long time ago and I read it really quick Um, and so I've just kind of dove back into it. I want to read it again and, and have it fresh on my mind before I see the movie but the movie has already got great reviews. I mean I think it's trending on Netflix. People are really raving about it so I'm excited to kind of re-experience this story and then hopefully get to enjoy the movie. That was going to be my next question is if you had seen the movie yet. Yeah, not yet. I'm I'm holding off. I love to do a good read of the book before I see the movie, if I can. And so right. that's that's the goal with this one. I've seen a few people say online that the ending, or the, I'm sorry, the beginning of this movie starts out very, very slow, but they're so happy they stuck with it. Is the book the same way? It's interesting because the the book jumps right into the body drop. And so for me, it kind of had my attention from the get go. But I could also see where, you know, that happens. And then maybe we have a little bit of a slog after that. And so maybe if if that's too quick and in a film, it could be. I mean, timing's very different in a film. I could see where maybe the beginning would slog a little bit. But yeah, definitely stick with it if it does, because um, it gets pretty twisty and there's a lot of action and it's just fun. All right. So shifting gears, Dad, why don't you tell us about two books you've read in the last 30 days? Okay. A couple of very different books this time. The first one is called Gone Tomorrow by Lee Child. It's book, I think, 13 of the Jack Reacher series, which, you know, I'd I'd seen Jack Reacher stuff forever. And I don't do a lot of series because I just, you know, it's hard for me to commit to 20 books or whatever they have right now. But I was listening to Malcolm Gladwell's podcast and he started talking about how Lee Child and Jack Reacher is kind of his guilty pleasure books. And I was like, well, if Gladwell likes it, then maybe. So read the first one, loved it. Like I said, book 13. So I'm committed at this point to all things Jack Reacher. And it's been over like a year and a half. So I, this is like my, if I've read too much science fiction, which Hannah would say is all the time, uh, (laughs) or just want something out to think real hard about for a couple of days, then I'll, I'll dive back into one of these. And so for those who don't know, Jack Reacher is a former army uh, military policeman 
who wanders the country with a toothbrush and his old passport in his pocket, and that's it. And he just kind of wanders around the country and constantly finds himself getting in trouble or stumbling upon trouble that he has to solve. Because again, he's a policeman at heart and he's a, a big dude. And so does a lot of kind of just thinking with his muscles sometimes, but is also um, a, a really interesting and, and good investigator. Ultimately, good things happen or bad things happen. And we move on down the road to the next story. Gone Tomorrow is not one of the better ones. So this is the problem with series, right? That some of them are outstanding. Some of them are yeah, okay. And this was okay. It wasn't bad. But um, most of these books are set in rural communities, small town. They're not set in big cities. And this one is set in New York City. And I think part of the problem I had with it was that Child spent the entire book trying to prove that he understood the geography of New York City. Mm. So like every other page is now they're going to 58th and 9th and like, okay, we get it. He's traveling around the city and they have parks and parks are located in places and the subways work. Uh, and it just, it was, it was jarring. It kept kind of pulling me out of the the story that was trying to be told, which wasn't again, pretty good story. It's interesting because this was written probably in the early two thousands. Some of the politics of it are a little bit dated. Uh, I don't, don't want to get into that because it would, it brings spoilers up, but these are for them. They're fun reads. Even the ones that aren't great are fun to kind of go through and take the ride with them. And I think this is one of those. If you have seen the screen versions of this. So, you know, Tom Cruise did a couple of Jack Reacher movies and then Amazon has just recently come out with a Jack Reacher series. I will tell you the series is far closer to it than the movies because Reacher is supposed to be a huge guy and Tom Cruise isn't. (laughs) So supposed to be, you know, imposing by his just physical presence. And so when five, whatever Tom Cruise kind of busts into the room, nobody gets all that excited about it. So (laughs) gone tomorrow, you know, Again, if you're into thrillers, if you're into mystery, if you're into that kind of, you know, heavy handed, lots of people getting punched and things getting shot. um, These are fun books. Uh, If that's not your thing, then you're not going to enjoy these at all. I'm so I'm I'm into that, but I have the same complaint with Lee Child in that he gets kind of hung up on unnecessary details, whether it be like the geography or the language or it there always seems to be and i've only read maybe one or two of his books but there always seems to be something he gets a little hung up on and then that's all i can pay attention to um <laughs> so i i don't know if you would say if that detracted from the plot or um if you just thought you know that's a thing that's there but it is what I it think is it's just and, it's just distracting yeah because every I, I don't think i'm exaggerating every page it comes up again eventually it becomes a thing that pulls you out yeah right mm-hmm. that you're tracking along and trying to see what happens uh, and I know what you're talking about. He does have these moments. And I think the best books he writes or the best in these series are the ones that don't really have that. That right. for whatever reason, he's managed to avoid obsessing over something. Sure. And it it, uh, it and it just flows better. I think that's what happens is you just get pulled out because the flow doesn't work. Yeah, that's fair. No, I've never read one of his books. Do you? Do either of you have a suggestion if I were to read just one? Um, so, yeah, one that I recommend, it was a couple of books back called Bad Luck and Trouble. It's number 11 in the series. And, you know, the beauty of these is that you don't actually have to, you figure out what's going on pretty quick. It's not like, oh, continuity. If I mm-hmm. jump into number 10, I'm never going to know what's happening. See, that's the thing. I love when people have series that you really can jump in at any time, but I wouldn't know how to write that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how to write a series where you wouldn't have had to read the first one. (laughs) I have a huge appreciation for people who can do that. 
Yes, yes, absolutely. Like there's been books where I'm, you know, 30% of the way in before I realize it's a series. Yeah, you know, they don't put it on the front or back cover. Sometimes I just don't know if I'm not familiar with that author. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so paranoid about that. I actually put an author's note in in the beginning of Midnight in Delta County that said, if you have not read Delta County or Summer of 99, please either go back and read them or I put like spoiler recaps on my website. So I'm not forcing somebody to to read the other two, but I just didn't want to get any angry emails from people not realizing it was a sequel. That's a great plan. So my second book, Hannah, is one I think I know that you've read uh, called All Systems Read. It's the uh, first book in the Murderbot Diaries by Martha Wells. And you can't see it, but Hannah is now dancing. (laughs) This is another book that I love. This is my night, guys. (laughs) So I have seen this recommended forever. Hannah, you recommended it to me. Lots of other people. It's on all kinds of lists that if you love science fiction, then you need to read this. And I do. And so I did. It's told from the perspective of a robot, a security robot, that has figured out how to hack its governor module. And so it now has free will. So it can do whatever it wants and doesn't have to follow orders, but is a bit schizophrenic about it because it knows it's supposed to follow orders. Spins the the novella, actually, it's not very long, but I think the whole series, just figuring out where it's okay to ignore what the humans tell it to do and kind of trying to hide this thing because it's afraid that if it's found out that it has free will, that it's going to get recycled or you know rebooted, whatever happens to, to cause that governor to, to kick back in. And the, the story is about a group of scientists on a planet who end up in trouble and it's Murderbot's job to protect them from this trouble that's come along. But it's really more about, it's almost a coming of age thing. Right. As as this robot is trying to figure out its identity and what it means to have free will and what it means to be autonomous and able to do whatever it wants to do. It's told from the perspective of the robot. The robot's funny. Uh, it's snarky. It is very kind of self-aware. And like I said, a little schizophrenic and a little almost neurotic, which just makes for a really, really compelling character who can also break a lot of stuff. Right. That has these these abilities and and the weaponry and all the things that are part of it and is also very protective of the humans. So even though that's not something it has to do anymore, it still takes that assignment very seriously. It's a blast. They're short. I think it's maybe 100, 110 pages. I read it in one sitting, just sat down and blew through it. And I can't wait to read more. Just an absolute blast. Yeah, I love this book a lot. And unfortunately, I haven't finished the series. Um, it's It's been one that I've wanted to keep up with, but life just keeps happening. And so um, I'm excited to get to finish the series, but I, I can't help but echo. It's just such a fun read to, to get the perspective of a sentient robot, right? Like it's it's just fun. He's got a great personality. He's not like kind necessarily like he's very snarky i think that's a good way to put it but but that's fun to follow too right like yep. there's something almost very human about that and so yeah i i also can't recommend this book enough i'll add it to my list as well <laughs> there you go if nobody else is getting a list jamie is getting yes, one yeah i'm getting something out of this episode <laughs> <laughs> perfect all right hannah it's your turn what do you got okay so i read some great books this past month um, have nothing but glowing reviews for both of these stories I'm going to talk about. First one I'm going to talk about is Stephen King's new book called Fairy Tale. Um, if you guys are not new, then you know I love me some Stephen King. 
And um, this is very different from his usual horror thriller stuff. Um, This book is fantasy. And uh, at at first I was a little bit nervous about that. Can Stephen King do fantasy the way he does horror? He's written other fantasy stories, but I haven't read them. So I, I was hesitant. But then, I mean, it was like from page one, it just had me. So Story goes like this. There is a um, a boy. He's 17. It follows his perspective. Uh, there's a house at the top of the hill in the town where he lives. And there's kind of all of these like folklore about the man who lives in that house that he's mean, that he has this vicious dog and no one's ever really seen him. You know, pretty typical teenage folklore. And one day, um, Charlie, our main character, is walking home from school and he hears the dog panic barking like not normal barking, like something's wrong kind of barking. And so he goes to the house and he sees that the man, Mr. Bowditch, has fallen off a ladder and he's badly broken his leg. And so our main character helps the man. They get him to the hospital and um, Mr. Bowditch is like, okay, but what about my dog? And mind you, everyone's afraid of this dog. Her name's Radar. She's this big, burly dog, but she's actually getting kind of old. And so our main character says, well, I'll take care of him. He ends up getting access to Mr. Bodish's house and taking care of Radar. He loves Radar, but she's really old and she's getting pretty fragile and she's fading pretty quickly. Like this dog is not going to last much longer. So Mr. Bodish passes away, unfortunately, and he leaves the house to our main character. There's also this tape that tells the main character, if you're interested, there's a way that you can prolong Radar's life. And it has to do with what's boarded up in the cellar. So come to find out there's a whole nother world under this man's cellar that he's had boarded up for years. And in this world, there's a sundial that if he puts radar on the dial and he spins it backwards, it will prolong her life. It'll send her back in time. And so his whole goal is to go through this journey in this other world and get his dog on the sundial to prolong her life. But of course, he meets tons of interesting characters and creatures along the way. There's all sorts of like political unrest going on in this world. And so he gets kind of tied in with all that. It's just a really fun adventure story. And on top of all that, it's a very like self-aware meta kind of fairy tale. And so you have characters like Rumpelstiltskin. You have, you know, all of these famous fairy tale characters in kind of their own special retelling that Stephen King has imagined, but they're still being called out as those kinds of characters, right? And so it's almost as if this is a 17-year-old boy that would be in our world in present time who's experiencing this other world. So it's just, it's so much fun. I It's 600 pages. I mean, it's a bit of a doorstopper, but I blew through it. It That's just, actually a fairly short Stephen King book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very typical. So um, I cannot recommend it enough if you like Stephen King or even if you don't because, you know, horror may be not your thing. But if you're into fantasy, you've absolutely got to pick this book up. I'm intrigued. I'm a huge King fan. And I, I am ashamed to say I don't think I have read any of his books in the last maybe three years. So I'm looking to yeah. get back in. And that, that sounds exciting. You know, I think one of the things that we... We always associate Stephen King with horror, but the reality is you go back, I mean, he's written, of course, The Gunslinger is fantasy horror. I mean, just every, you know, all the Dark Tower is all of that stuff mixed together, but he's written detective novels. He's written kind of the, you know, the pot boiler pulp kinds of things. Um, He's written fantasy. He's written some political stuff. So, I mean, at some point we have to just settle in and go, you know what? He's just a good writer, right? Yeah. He's one of those guys that can do anything. 
but he obviously his name is is horror and so that association is always there so i have i'm excited to read this book i told you the day that when you finished it you're supposed to bring it to me and you haven't done that yet <laughs> Oof, now i'm in trouble okay well it's coming your way later coming your way <laughs> i love that <laughs> Okay, so the uh, the second book I want to talk about that I read this month is actually the first in a series, and it's called The Murder at Archley Manor by Sarah Rossett. Um, it's first in a series called the High Society Lady Detective series, and that pretty much encapsulates the book and the series pretty well, I would say. They take place in the 1920s. There's a very like feminine undertone to the story, which you know I love. We follow our main character, whose name is Olive, and she has recently moved to London, and she's looking for a job. This is her first time kind of going out on her own trying to do her own thing, but it's the 1920s. And so it's not the easiest thing in the world for a woman to find a job. And if she does find a job, it's probably as a secretary or a nanny or something of that nature. And Olive just has no desire to do any of those things. So she's out on the job hunt and she meets up with some cousins. She has two cousins that are about her age. One of the cousins has recently gotten engaged and this guy, no one really knows his history. Um, he seems to be kind of a high society man, but he's got kind of a sketchy background. And so her aunt, the mom of this cousin, is just a little bit concerned about the Alfred's history. And so she asks Olive to look into it. And Olive has always kind of been this very like inquisitive type person. So it's just kind of in her nature to be like, you know what? Sure. If you'll pay me, like I'll look into this guy. And so she kind of just becomes a private detective of sorts. So she goes to this party. It's called the Silver and Gold Party. And Alfred's friend is hosting, but Alfred and his, you know, fiance, the cousin, are going to be there. Well, at some point during the night, Alfred gets pushed from a balcony and he does not survive. And so what started as Olive just looking into Alfred's history has now become a murder investigation involving his history, but also involving all these other people that were at the party that night. It's a light mystery, I would say. It's nothing too um, gory, crazy, anything like that. Um, it it was not easy to figure out, but when it is revealed at the end who committed the murder, it's very easy to go back and say, okay, so that's what this meant. That's what this meant. Like you could you could go back and follow it that way. So it felt very fair. It was not a cheat mystery. Um, and it was also just a very fun book. It was laid out really well. We got a lot of characterization up front, which is good because it's the first in a series where we're going to hear a lot about Olive. So I felt like she was set up really well and some of the supporting characters were set up well as well. And um, and I just found it overall very enjoyable and I'm excited to get more in the series and read more into it. That sounds like something I would love. So is this what people call a cozy mystery? Is that what you would classify it as? It's Yeah, it's just about a cozy mystery. I mean, they do get to leave the house. So, uh, you know, I mean, if if the rule of cozy mystery is that they have to stay in a secluded area, then I guess it cheats on that a little bit. But it does, for the most part, take place in a single location with a single set of characters, right? Anyone who was there at that party. So, okay. yeah, so I'd go ahead and call it a cozy I never really understand what. <laughs> what no, I'm so glad you defined that because I had no idea what it meant. I, I just thought it was like small town kind of feel good. There had just happens to be a murder in town. <laughs> so you guys get Professor Heron for a second. There she is. It's, yeah, welcome. cozy is technically <laughs> defined when it takes place in a single setting. And bonus, if they can't leave that setting, right? So Agatha Christie does this a lot where she puts um, them all on yeah. a train or she puts them all on a desert island. 
um, and they can't leave. So they have to figure out what's going on before the next victim falls, whatever. That's that's a good cozy. All right, Jamie. So why don't you tell us about the two books you've read this past month? Okay. I've also, I really had some good reads in like late December and early January. Um, So one of them was jumping from your 1920s book to 1950s, uh, Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. Um, Love, love, loved. Five out of five for me. Um, It's about, the main character's name is Elizabeth Zott, um, and she is a chemist, which of course there weren't a whole lot of female chemists back in the late 50s, early 60s. It's about a 10-year period, and she deals with grief, sexism, judgment from her peers on her parenting skills. Um, and she goes from being a chemist and it, in the beginning unwillingly becomes a TV cooking show host when they um, kind of strong arm her into it by telling her it's, it's basically like doing chemistry. You're basically being a chemist, but on TV. Um, so she reluctantly accepts this position as a TV cooking show host. And it's just, it's such a good book. It's just such a good book. And it, it kind of really tells us like as women, how far we've gone, especially career wise, like you were saying in the 1920s, there weren't very many options in the 1950s. Some more were opening up, but it was still, you know, the, the reactions that she gets, not only in the workplace, but in her neighborhood at her child's school, um, you know, for being a mom that works outside of the home is just insane to me. And it's, of course, an era that we, didn't live through. So we, we only know by, <laughs> by reading and watching and learning. To me, it was just so, you know, somebody responded to me uh, when I put on Instagram that I was reading it and said that this book is so weirdly precious. And I said, yes, that is exactly <laughs> what it is. It's just, it's different. And it has some aspects um, of a book that I typically would not like. Like there are some sections that are from the perspective of the dog. And to me, that's very cheesy, but I loved it. Like those were my favorite parts and he's so just clever and protective and um, she just made it work. And I was so shocked to learn that this is her debut novel. This is her only book that she has. And I mean, how do you come out like that? (laughs) How do you come out swinging like that? I mean, to me, it was perfection. And my only complaint is this. I, I was reluctant to read it because of the cover. The cover makes it look like it is a cute romantic comedy when in reality it is this deep like insightful kind of drama and I almost didn't read it because of that I'm not a big romance reader I don't read a whole I mean I'll sprinkle them in sometimes but that really made me kind of not want to read the book and the description that they used like in all of their marketing is it's laugh out loud funny and a book that you'll smile the whole way through Um, When in reality, there's like an assault a few chapters in. (laughs) So I thought, who is handling this book marketing? Um, (laughs) And so I've since watched a few interviews with this author. um, And she said, you know, when when you sign a traditional contract, you're kind of at their mercy. So they get to decide what what your cover looks like, what, you know, how you're marketing this book, which is reason 5,000 why I'm so happy I'm doing this myself, (laughs) because (laughs) I will just never let that happen. And I just wonder how many people like me almost passed up this book because of its marketing and because of its packaging, when in reality, it was just so wonderful. But the great news is somebody just told me that the TV rights uh, were sold to Brie Larson, and they are making a series for Apple TV. So I'm so excited. And I think that she'll she'll do it justice. Do you think the the marketing thing was to try to obviously give it a broader appeal and, and almost just sneak it past people who might not read something that's a little bit heavier? 
I've, I've thought about that because this is kind of, it came out right in the middle of this huge, um, who's the woman that wrote Book Lover? Is it Emily Henry, I think is her name? Her books are just everywhere. Colleen Hoover is just everywhere. And I don't know if they're kind of just trying to capture that like zeitgeist of just what's going yeah. on right now. Um, but I think that they did her a big disservice by doing that because this book is so much more. And the, the cover is just like of a cute little girl with a pencil sticking out of her bun. And it's like, oh, I just, I, I feel like the main character in this book would kill somebody over, <laughs> over <laughs> how she looked on the cover. I mean, she is just so strong and um, does not back down to anybody, does not care what anybody thinks. And um, I mean, I finished this book thinking I could do anything. And I, I, you know, to inspire readers like that, I just, I cannot wait to see what she writes next. I, I feel cool. like uh, I'm a fan for life. So I absolutely loved it. Okay. So this one's a little controversial. <laughs> so nice. um, it's called All Good People Here. Uh, it's by Ashley Flowers, who is the host of a very popular uh, crime podcast called Crime Junkies. Now, let me preface this by saying I went into this book knowing nothing about this author other than she hosted a very popular podcast. So here I am going about my day. I post on my Instagram stories that I'm, I'm starting this book. I must have got 30 DMs <laughs> within the first couple hours of people telling me that she was involved in a big plagiarism scandal with her podcast. where she had been stealing content from smaller content creators, not crediting them whatsoever and refusing to apologize. So I do want to preface this by saying this was told to me when I was on chapter two, maybe. (laughs) So (laughs) I cannot tell you I went into this book unbiased. Um, So I, I, I will say the first half of the book felt like John Bonet Ramsey fan fiction <laughs> for people who thought the brother did it. <laughs> I mean, there were like scenes directly from the crime. And I mean, I, I had to stop reading for a couple minutes and say, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? But I stuck with it. And I will say this, the premise is um, that a, a reporter goes back to her hometown in small town. It's a uh, Wakarusa, Indiana, which apparently is a, a real town about 30 miles south of the Michigan border. And she goes to care for her uncle who has dementia and is living by himself and and needs somebody to care for him. And while she's in town, a young girl, a six-year-old girl goes missing. And the details are eerily similar of a six-year-old girl that was murdered when she was young. And this girl just happened to be a girl that lived across the street from her. They grew up together. And then the girl was murdered um, in her basement, just like John Bunny Ramsey, but I digress. (laughs) Um, So right away, this premise sounds like uh, just a thriller lover's dream. I mean, small town, you know, mysterious murder that might be linked to an old murder. I, I just, I was all about it. Um, so like I said, the first half, I was quite annoyed and felt that it just stole, not only from the John Ramsey case, but from um, Kaylee Anthony. There are a few like Kaylee and Anthony, you know, case details sprinkled in there. But the second half of the book, she did stray a little bit away from that and had some original ideas and some original writing. And I was listening to the audiobooks on my on my morning walks and I did find myself excited to get back to it, excited to see what happened next. I kind of put my annoyance aside um, only for it to be like, I guess, one of the most controversial endings in, of the year. You know, I was kind of on the fence about it. So I will say this, if you enjoy a good just thriller, if you're looking you know, for a release, something to read after work and kind of get your mind off of the workday, you'll probably enjoy this book. And not everybody is 
as obsessed with old true crime cases as I am. You, other people might not have even made that connection. I don't know. Judging by the reviews, they did. <laughs> but I, it just, um, it was a little frustrating for me that I do, you know, feel like she took some details and should have changed them a little bit more. But as a whole, I would recommend it to to people who just enjoy a nice, good thriller to read. Um, it's not going to keep you up at night. It's not overly disturbing. So do you know, is this the only book that she's written? I believe so. I believe so. Um, and she, uh, I, I believe it was her narrating it. And again, I don't listen to Crime Junkie, so I'm not positive. But I believe it's her that narrates the majority of the book, at least. Yes, I know it was wildly successful, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, judging by the sales figures. So, there's, I mean, somebody's enjoying it <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a absolutely. lot. So, Well, and you've got to wonder because, you know, the, the whole true crime genre, I wonder if there was some intent about copying some of those very famous high profile things to draw that audience in. Sure. To, to help them connect to JonBenet Ramsey and you know some of these other cases that maybe hopefully will we'll give some license there and say that that was on purpose to try to not just to make it easy to write, but also right. to grab people who are really into those kinds of, of cases and, and stories and give them something to, to be familiar with. And, you know, I, I do get where she was going with it because she covers these cases all the time for the podcast. And yeah. she probably thought about the most shocking aspects of the most shocking cases that have just like captivated America and thought, man, what if I just take a little bit here, a little bit there, blend them all together in a book, <laughs> not knowing all of us like internet sleuths would be like, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, this is exactly where this murder happened. And um, so I get what she was trying to do. And again, I didn't hate the book. I think I rated it a three out of five. Um, I will never post a review for another author if it's less than a three. Yeah. Um, I just That's don't fair. do that to other authors. So if I didn't enjoy it, I just don't talk about it. So I did enjoy it enough to rate it a three. I just wished it was a little bit more original. That's all. Well, that's kind of the challenge maybe when um, writing what you know is also writing what everybody else knows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that. That's yeah. absolutely so, right. You're so right. <laughs> it, gets, it gets trapped. You're so well, right. Speaking of true crime, it's our backlist pick time and we let the guests pick the category. And so... <laughs> The category is true crime. <laughs> sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> Don't be sorry. We love it. <laughs> good. good. Um, so remember, these are books that are at least five years old, but still can can be found and, and picked up in different places. And Jamie, since it's your category, we're just going to let you keep going. Oh, well, thank you. Okay. So this book came out in 1999. Hannah, were you even born yet? <laughs> I was. Yeah. Okay, Contrary to popular okay. belief. I am older than 17. <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect, perfect. Um, so it was 1999. I was in high school working as a library aide. And when I was restocking the shelves, I saw this book and it's called Murder in Greenwich. And it's about the Martha Moxley murder um, in Greenwich, Connecticut. And it uh, is the one that gained a lot of headlines because Michael Skakel, Skakel, Skakel was arrested for it and he was a Kennedy. He was a Kennedy family. Gotcha. So, and he was arrested many years later for this. The book is written by Mark Furman, who was the LAPD investigator on the OJ Simpson uh, case. And yeah. he, he also wrote a book, I believe it was called Murder in Brentwood, that he wrote right before this one about the OJ Simpson case. And the reason I remember this, and this is, you know, one of the books along with Helter Skelter that kind of just really ignited my passion, my morbid curiosity, I would say. <laughs> and the reason why I like his writing so much is because it's just all evidence and no frills. And I love that. So you're feeling like you're following along with the case and it's, 
It's organized in chronological order of that night. It was the night before Halloween, Devil's Night. She was a 15-year-old in a very, very wealthy suburb that went out, you know, egging houses, toilet papering houses, whatever we do the night before Halloween. Um, And she was found beaten to death the following day. She had hung out with a bunch of other teenage boys and forever nobody really knew what happened. And I think what intrigued me so much is not only was this very wealthy suburb so different from where I grew up, (laughs) so this wealth and privilege was just so foreign to me. Um, the things that money can buy, like, you know, putting your son in hiding because he's associated to this case, with this yeah. case and refusing police interviews and doing things like this. I just remember thinking, oh, this is just such a different world than anything that I know. Um, you know, learning about these cases with a morbid curiosity and a respect for the victims, but also just a curiosity because it's so, so different from the life that we live. Um, so I think that that was one of the books that just really ignited my curiosity for true crime cases, especially books that just lay out the facts. I yeah. don't I don't like listening to the podcasts that uh, bring humor into the true crime cases a whole lot or are telling punchlines. I just want to listen or read about the facts and um, see you know what what we would have done in that situation. How would we have felt if we were the detective with the evidence presented to us at that time? So uh, that's a book that just really sticks out to me as just really capturing my attention from the beginning to the end. I love so much that you mentioned that it, it just lays out the facts really well. I think one of the things that maybe grosses me out isn't the right terminology, but I'll just say it. one of the things that kind of grosses me out about the surge in interest in true crime is that people obsess with the wrong part of the story, yes. right? Yes. And so, and it, it glorifies bad people and it, you mm-hmm. know, glorifies really unfortunate situations and it romanticizes them almost in some cases. And so it's, you know, we have to be so careful about how we're portraying horrible things that happen to real people. And so Absolutely. anytime you can, you can see a documentary or pick up a book that just really kind of lays out the facts doesn't soil it down with a lot of opinions because that's where we get a little iffy sometimes. Uh, I think that's the major key. And I hope with true crime audiences, that's what we're really trying to take away is just that curiosity from the event. What could have been done differently? What would we have done in that situation? I think that's like such an important takeaway. And as a woman, I always take away, what could I have done? To, yes. You know, what can we do to prevent being in these yeah. situations? Um, so that's as a woman listening to true crime stories, I think is always in the back of our, our brains. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Hannah, what's your backlist pick? Okay, so jumping way back to 1980, I chose The Stranger Beside Me by Anne Rule. Yes, yes. This is, it's such a good book. Um, Anne Rule was friends with Ted Bundy. And so this is a take on the Ted Bundy story from her perspective. She had a really unique perspective. She knew him both before he committed all of the crimes and then a little bit afterward as well. Um, I believe they originally met, if I'm remembering correctly, as coworkers. They were working a hotline together. Um, and, and so they just had a friendship. And she knew him as just the kind of charming, attractive nobody, you know, that he was at the time. And so you hear kind of that version of the story. And then interestingly enough, she became an investigative journalist and she was actually investigating the murders that he committed 
before we even realized that he was the one who committed them. And so you get kind of the before and then you get the realization of, oh my gosh, it was him and now he's been arrested and, you know, kind of all of these things. And then also you get the after effect of after he was arrested and then he escaped and then he was arrested again. I I think the perspective that she had is what intrigued me the most about this book. And again, she does a really good job of not painting him out to be like a sympathetic character. You know, like I, I'm watching uh, the Dahmer series right now on Netflix, and my only beef with it is they're taking little aspects of the story and using it to almost kind of like shed light onto why he was the way he was. And it, it almost kind of makes him like a sympathetic character, which is mm-hmm. what we want in television. But the problem with that is at the end of the day, he was a real person that did really horrible things. And so I appreciated that rule did not do that with this book, or at least I didn't feel like she did. She did give her perspective and she gave the facts from what she saw and understood of each of these situations without glorifying who he was or make or, or over dramatizing, you know, the, the fact that it went from him being this friend that she knew from this job she had to this mass murderer. Right. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the facts that she had. Um, she had stories that you don't hear other places. And so I definitely think even if you've seen all the Ted Bundy tapes and seen the movie on Netflix, whatever, I think that this would still be a good read if you're interested in the case because she has a really unique perspective and she's got some some good stories from the time. Unlike you guys, I don't reread often. I don't know why I don't, but you're making me want to reread that book because it's probably <laughs> been about a decade or so since I've read it. And, yeah. uh, and she, she wrote another book called Small Sacrifices. I don't know yeah, if you remember I that. Yeah, I haven't read that one. And I read this a very long time ago as well. I think I was maybe in high school when I read it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like two years ago. Uh, <laughs> but, but I, I yeah, I just remember being like, man, I, I just love that perspective. Yes, yes. Absolutely. And I'm I'm very fascinated to read anything on Ted Bundy. So especially coming from somebody that knew him. Yeah. I mean, gosh, a lot of money was was spent trying to figure out what in the world is wrong with him, you know, after his death, even and I don't think we have any answers. I think that's the hardest part is you you, you may never have answers for yeah. some of these people, you know, and yeah. that's that's just part of it. Yeah. But we'll have lots of Netflix series that try to break it down. <laughs> oh, yes. Exactly. We sure will. We sure will. And I'll complain about them, but I'll watch them all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Every one of them. <laughs> all right, Dad, you want to tell us about your backlist pick? So we've had 1999. We've had 1980. I'm going back even further because oh. I have a, I'm have a little bit of a disadvantage here because I don't read true crime. This isn't a, a world that I'm familiar with at all. But when I was in high school which was not before 1980, just to clarify. (laughs) When I was in high school, for some reason, and I'll never be able to remember the thought process that led me to this, I wanted to read Truman Capote's In Cold Blood. Mm, It was written in 1965, 66. And In Cold Blood is about the murder of the Clutter family in Kansas in 1959. Two guys broke into their house. They were looking for stuff. Uh, They couldn't find much to steal. And they were both ex-convicts and they knew that if they got caught for breaking in, they were going back to prison. And so they murdered the family uh, and then escaped and were on the run and kind of thought they had had gotten away with it. Truman Capote was a writer in New York. He went out to Kansas and brought along a name you might be familiar with, Harper Lee, who wrote To Kill a Mockingbird, mm-hmm. went with him to uh, just investigate and to take notes and to, to, to find out about this crime and ended up spending the next six years of his life 
just studying this this murder and um, looking at it from every possible angle. They said he has over 8,000 pages of notes that he took in the process of interviewing everybody who was remotely uh, associated with it. And then when the, the two men who committed the crime, Richard Hickok and Perry Smith, were captured, and tried and convicted and, and sentenced uh, ultimately to to die. Uh, he had tons of interviews with them and so spent a lot of time talking with them about not just why they did it and what they did, but also about their lives and about what happened in the interim when they thought they'd gotten away with it. They went down to Mexico for a while and came back. And the book then is the story of this crime, but it's also just about these two guys. And he he doesn't pull a lot of punches, but he does paint one of them as more sympathetic as the other and, and kind of got strung along and all these bad things happened in childhood that led to them doing what they did. It's been a long time since I've read it because high school was a, a few years ago in Lycana. Um, <laughs> but Truman Capote is a fantastic writer, wrote this story in a way that was very compelling. And it's actually, they, they talk about this as a nonfiction novel because there are some things that everyone is pretty sure he embellished and it's written very narratively, but at the same time, it is the true story of, of these guys and this family and, and what happened. So it's, it's a fascinating look into the crime from a ton of different angles. Cause again, he had 8,000 pages of notes and six years to write the thing. But one of the really interesting things about this book, they say that it impacted Capote so much that he didn't ever write again. So it's the last book that he published because the story and just the the extent to which I guess he got consumed by it, it just kind of took away anything else that he wanted to write. And there's a film called Capote, where Philip Seymour Hoffman plays Truman Capote and kind of walks through mostly the process of, of interviewing and being around these guys and writing in cold blood. And it really kind of portrays the the toll that this book took on him. So Again, it's true crime, so it's not necessarily easy to read. But if for no other reason, it's just it's a true crime book written by a fantastic writer that it, it just grabs you from the beginning and and just carries you all the way through. So In Cold Blood, absolutely recommend it. Uh, again, if that's the kind of thing that you're interested in reading. Well, it is. <laughs> so. There you go. It so, so happens to be. Yes. I found the right people for this. And I'm just so intrigued by the fact that he never wrote anything else. As a writer, yeah. that makes me want to read it and go, what was so all-consuming about the yes. story? What was so all-consuming about the writing process for this? Because that's yeah. intriguing, a little bit sad, but also just really intriguing. Agreed. Yeah, I would love to find out if there were interviews or conversations with him after the fact when he realized he wasn't going to write anything else, or if he ever did realize he wasn't going to be able to, and just never could quite generate what he needed to, to be able to write again. But yeah, just something about being as immersed in that, I guess, as he was, took it out of him. Wow. <laughs> well, on that happy note, <laughs> I mean, we were going to be talking about true crime. It probably wasn't going to end on a real Yeah, I don't upward. know how that ends. Uh, my bad, guys. My bad. <laughs> great stuff. That's it for this edition of Your Next Great Read. Jamie, Thanks so much for hanging out with us tonight. Uh, it's been a blast. I can't thank you guys enough. I just, I really enjoy talking to you both. So before we go, uh, let folks know how they can connect with you online. Yeah, absolutely. On Facebook and TikTok, I'm author JL Hyde. And on Instagram, I am book and beer review. And tell us one more time about the new book that's coming out in April. Oh, the new book is Magnolia Court. It will be out the first week of April and it is a cul-de-sac mystery. Hannah, great stuff as always. Always. Thank you guys so much. This has been fun. 
Thank you, guys. So remember, you can find links to all the books we've talked about in the show notes and on okiebookcast.com slash nextread. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe to the Bookcast newsletter for more news and recommendations going straight to your inbox every month. We'll be back next month with another great guest and some more books. And until then, go find something good to read.